Now, as we get started this morning, just imagine, if you can, that you have uh, maybe uh, you're a couple, and whether you're the one that's pregnant or not, uh, you have a girlfriend, and uh, or you're the one that's having the baby, and you're, you're going to have a baby in a week. And the problem is you have to go on an 80-mile trip. And it's not going to be in an air-conditioned car on smooth highways. It's going to be on a donkey. And it's going to be over a treacherous, arid land. And you're going to arrive at a destination only to find there's no room for you to give birth. There's not going to be a hospital with a birthing suite. None of that. You're going to arrive and you're going to go into heavy labor and you're going to need a place and there's nowhere. And the next thing you know, you're out where the animals are kept and you give birth out there. That seems to be the case for Mary and Joseph. And I want to read that passage. If you want to follow along with me, it's, it's found in Luke chapter 2. And I want to start reading at verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who is now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, what I find interesting about this passage, just off the top of my head, is it's just, you know, it's a... For some of you, this is going to be too old, but for some of you, you'll get this dragnet where uh, Joe basically, just the facts. I mean, it's just the facts. It's no emotion. There's no, there's no extra. Mary struggled, and it was a harsh, you know, you know, this would not sell, you know. I mean, this story is just so basic. It just tells us what happened, but there's so much going on. I mean, Picture yourself. You know, I mean, it is difficult enough to give birth. And and in that day, giving birth was almost a a struggle with whether I'm going to survive giving birth. Three lessons we want to learn from this passage. Number one, if you're not willing to humble yourself, you don't know his mercy and grace. I could say that the other way in saying, you, you do know mercy and grace if you're willing to humble yourself. You have understood his mercy and grace if you're willing to humble yourself. But here in our passage, we see the incredible humility of God, which almost seems like an oxymoron because the Greek gods were very vindictive. They were very ch- chippy. They, 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 um, they were very difficult. And yet here we have a God who w- willingly humbled himself. And people are always asking God for a sign. I mean, we do today, and they did in that day. And really, the two major signs that were given in the Scriptures are this. First, the sign of his birth. The shepherds were told, and we looked at this last weekend, the shepherds were told that uh, they were to look for the child who would be wrapped up and laid in a manger. And uh, so that's where they found him. Now, this interest, it's interesting to note that uh, mothers in that day would wrap their children up and they would basically wrap their arms and, and their legs in just strips of cloth, almost like a mummy. 
And they did that thinking that it would help to ensure straight bones and limbs. So here's Jesus <laughs> laying in a manger, all, you know, kind of tighten, tightly bundled up. The other sign that was given in Scripture, and Jesus said this when they came asking for a sign, he says, I'll give you no sign except Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days. So we have the cross, or we have the cradle, and we have the grave, the, the, the two signs. Here's the point. Many people uh, just come to a point where they say, you know what, I need a sign, I need proof, I need this. And what we, you really need to do is humble yourself, because that's what God did. God humbled himself. And we, we must all come to a place, and this is really hard, I think it's especially hard for men, to come to a place where you're willing to humble yourself and say, I need help. I'm lost. I mean, it's almost impossible for a man to say, I'm lost. You know, I'm, I know I'm on a planet. I mean, that's what we do. I know I'm in America, you know, because I haven't crossed any ocean. But there has to be a point where we spiritually say, I'm lost. I need help. And, and look at how God humbled himself. Philippians tells us, Paul tells us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Philippians is such an incredible important passage because what it says is that the, the Son of God humbled himself and became of no, <laughs> basically was born in, in a weak uh, state as a child, as an infant, helpless, and, and, and to a poor family in a town where there's no room for him. He went from the pinnacle of power to the pinnacle of humili- humility. And, and if you're a follower of his, he asks you to do the same. He asks you to humble yourself. And what's amazing to me is how many Christians walk around, and, you know, the biggest knock that Christians get from those who aren't is they're arrogant, they're proud. They think they have all the answers. And what Jesus basically would say to us, would you humble yourself? I mean, think about your relationships. The, the reason relationships go wrong, whether it's a marriage relationship or a friendship, the reason they go wrong is because we will not humble ourselves, because we have to win, because we have to be right, because we have to prove that we know more than somebody else or we're better than somebody else. We have to do that. There's something within us that causes us to do that. But what did the Son of God do? He didn't say, well, look at those deserving people. I'm so glad that his humility is not based upon my worth because he would have never come. (laughs) It wouldn't have happened. Notice what John says. He says this, He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children uh, born not of natural descent or human decision or the husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Now, there's a couple things in that passage. You know, a couple things. Number one, it says that, that, that Jesus came as a rescue party of one, that He came into His own creation. In other words, it says that this baby, this, this will blow your mind theologically. Think about this, the incarnation, that God became flesh. Here is a baby, and it's God, in a manger, helpless and hopeless, in a sense. It can't take care, you know, the baby can't take care of itself. It needs a human being to take care of it. Um, and, and this is not only the creator of the universe, but the one who sustains it. In other words, if this baby dies, the universe is over. 
that, that should blow your mind. And, and so that's the humility. That's the place of, of humbleness that Jesus took. But the other thing is interesting. In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the tent where God's presence was. And all the camps of Israel were around there. All the, all the uh, tribes of Israel would camp around the tent. The tent was in the middle. And the, you had, the picture was obviously that God was to be at the center of the camp, the center of their lives. When they came out of their tent, tents in the morning, they would look and they would see the tabernacle. And it would remind them, there's God. Give us today our daily bread. Remind us that there is a God in heaven, that we desperately need him. And so what, what John is saying is the Son of God came to earth, that he came into his own creation, the world that he made, and his own creatures, that's us, that were the ones made in his image, rejected him. It's amazing. Now, the, the word there, and, and it says, and he tabernacled, or he dwelt among us. That's the idea of tabernacling. And it goes back to the Old Testament idea. But here's what's amazing. When Jesus walked this earth, the animals gave him more due and respect than the humans that were created in his image. In fact, <laughs> Isaiah kind of puts it this way. The ox knows his master, the donkey, his owner's man, uh, manager, manger, uh, manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God is so patient. Can you imagine being a father and watching your son going into a place uh, where he should be well-respected and well-treated and being abused and being mocked and ridiculed and ultimately executed as a criminal? And that's what the father watched. Um, so the point is this, that salvation comes to us when we humble ourselves and we say, I need help. And the thing that will keep you from finding the salvation, the forgiveness that God offers is your pride, is your desire to be your own captain, your own you know, captain of your destiny. There has to be a point where you come and say, I'm, I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless, and I need you, Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an example to follow. Uh, there's nothing that you should not be willing to humble yourself and do. You're not too good for anything. If he was willing to get off of his throne and come and be born and live a perfect life and climb up on a cross for you, there should be nothing. That you, in, in any relationship that you have, when you feel that you're, not, you're, you're getting uh, cheated or things aren't going well, just, take a, just, just look at the cross and just remember the ultimate humility that came because he was taking things that he didn't deserve for you. Allow that humility to soak in a little bit. The second thing we learn from this passage is if we feel abandoned by God, you don't know his purpose in your life. Now, God had a plan for Mary and Joseph. And Mary was, you know, she was told, and I'm going to talk about this passage tomorrow. Um, the angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. You're not going to be with a man, but somehow, supernaturally, you're going to have a baby. And her response is so beautiful. She says, I will be the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be as you said. In other words, Mary's saying, I don't understand this. I have no idea what the implications are. But if God, that's what you want to do in my life, go for it. And Mary struggled with that. I mean, probably the, the, the moment that she struggled the most with it is when she stood under the cross and she watched her son, the promised one, the Messiah, die. And she thought, I didn't expect this. 
I didn't see this coming. This isn't, this isn't what I wanted. What are you doing? So here's Mary. She's on the verge of delivering her first child, the promised one, the Messiah. But here's the problem. She's got a long trip, 80 to 100 miles on a donkey. Now, what is, what is so amazing to this, in this is she's going to come to Bethlehem, and she's going to give birth in Bethlehem. And you say, so what? Well, Micah says in this, it's, a, it's a prophecy that the prophet Micah gave hundreds of years before, and he says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That phrase, from of old, of ancient times, just means he's got no beginning. He's eternal. In other words, out of you, he's saying, out of you, Bethlehem, there's going to come this ruler, and he's an eternal ruler. Bethlehem. So where are Joseph and Mary going? To Bethlehem. Why are they going to Bethlehem? Because Caesar wants his due. You know, you hear about the fiscal cliff. Don't know much about that. Don't know the implications. Don't really want to get into discussions. All I know is it's been told that what, the, what could happen is that you and I might end up paying more taxes. What was Caesar doing? Caesar was saying, let's get every male to register at his hometown so we know how many people we have so that we can tax them. So Joseph is making this 80 to 100 mile uh, trek on a donkey, you know, with a wife who is very pregnant, ready to give birth at any moment. And they arrive in Bethlehem only just in time for Mary to give birth and fulfill the Micah prophecy about the king who would come, the eternal king that would come. What's amazing to me, here's what's going on. God is using a secular king to bring Mary to this place to give birth. It's amazing to me how God uses. And, and see, I don't think it's different from us. In other words, what I'm saying, it's the same thing that Joseph said, and, and I talked about this a little bit on that first Genesis video. It's Joseph and his brothers where, where, where God takes the evil deeds of his brothers and turns it around for a positive outcome for the nation. You know, here God takes a decree from a king and he, 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 he uses that decree to bring Joseph, and Joseph probably brought Mary because he said, somebody's got to be with her, I'm responsible, I'll bring her, and he was told to stay with her. So he brought her and was with her as she gave birth and fulfilled the Micah 5.2 prophecy. It's amazing to me, and I think the same is true for us. Here, let me give you an example, New Testament example. Paul writes this. By the way, these, two, these verses in Ephesians were the verses that I first heard, and I realized that I was lost and I needed a Savior. Even though I had been very religious and gone to church every week and confession once a month, this is the passage that broke my heart. It was uh, Ephesians 2, and it says this, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, that was the part that hit me because up to that point I said, when I was asked, if you died today, would you go to be with God in heaven? I said, I hope so. And he said, fine. Here's the second question. If God were to meet you at the gate of heaven, um, what would you say if God said, why should I let you in? I said, well, I go to church every week, go to confession once a month. I've been, I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I've gone through all this. And, and he says, you know, that, that's great. And I'm not as bad as other people. Good. Uh, what about Jesus? I go, no, I don't know. He fits in there somewhere. 
I know he's on a cross somewhere. And he says, well, let's look at this verse. And I read that verse and I realized it has n- all I was doing was talking about me. I was bringing out a resume of righteousness saying, look at all I've done. I've done all these good things. I deserve to go to heaven, God. Here, you, 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 you need to let me in. And what I realized was I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless. And God sent his rescue party of one as a baby in a manger who lived the perfect life, lived the life I should have lived, died the death that should have died. He gave his life and he said it is finished. And he, he, he gave his life on the cross. And I realized for the first time in my life that salvation is a gift that I can't earn it. Just like when you get your, I think this is the way it works around your house. Maybe it doesn't. You get a gift and somebody gives it to you. I'll tell you this story real quick. When I first married into the Dixon family, and I married Carol, and that was 30 years ago, um, they, they kind of, and they're not, they, they just decided to bust me, bust me up a little bit at their Christmas time. And I was just this nice kid that, you know, no, I really wasn't that nice. But anyways, the bottom line is they ganged up on me at Christmas. That's what I'm trying to say. And they gave me this first present. Everybody was way too interested in having me open this present. So I opened it up. And it was like this ordinary gray bag. I didn't know what it was. I'm thinking, what am I going to carry this around on my arm? And, you know, like a, like a little purse or something like that. It's, you know, it's kind of, you know, and, and, well, what do you think? Do you like it? You know, and you go, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, it's like, I have no idea. So, you know, they had a little chuckle, and then they went on with the rest of the presents. So a little later, they, they said, oh, by the way, here's, here's another present. And so I opened it up, and it was a camera. And they go, that goes with the bag. <laughs> and uh, so they had their little laugh and a good time with me. But here's the point. When I opened that first present up, I just opened it up. Now, when they gave the camera to me, and, and this is true, when you open your presents up, you don't say, oh, that's beautiful. Listen, how much did that set you back? You know, you'd be insulted if somebody did that to you, wouldn't you? And that's what Ephesians says. Ephesians says it's a gift from God. It's not of works. There's going to be no boasting. No one's going to be boasting in heaven about, I did this to get here, I did this. They're going to be boasting about, I was the biggest sinner. You want to see grace? Let me tell you about how I was saved. You know, I mean, but here's the point of the passage. Here's what I, because I got a little bit off, a little bit off here. My point is this. God created you. If you know Jesus Christ, he created you with a purpose in mind. He had a purpose for Mary and Joseph. He had a timetable. He was working it out. I'm sure Mary got to Bethlehem and thought, wait a minute, where's my place? I'm going to give birth here. It's the promised Messiah. God, what are you doing? And he says this, and Paul says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared in advance for Mary that she would give birth to this baby in Bethlehem. And he used a Roman ruler to bring Joseph to Bethlehem to do it. In other words, God had a plan. All through Mary's life, God had a plan. And God has a plan for your life. And so if you feel, especially during a holiday, especially during Christmas time, that God isn't there, that you feel abandoned. I'm sure Mary kind of felt a little abandoned by God. He hasn't abandoned you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. 
And, and, and you need to do exactly what Mary did. She trusted Him even if she didn't understand. And I think probably the time that Mary felt the most abandoned was when she saw her son being taken down from the cross. And yet she still trusted. I don't understand this. Here's the third thing we can pull from this passage. If you think you can do enough to please God, you don't understand the gospel. Mary was told, name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's everyone. First John, John tells us in his epistle, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Pretty clear. We don't live through doing good works. We don't live through going to church. We don't live through uh, being a good person. We live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a atoning sacrifice for us. We believe in this church, the, the substitutionary atonement. What that, it's a theological term. All it means is this, that Jesus took our place. He died in our place. He took our sin. He took our punishment. He died where we should have died. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He substituted for us. He paid the price, the atonement. He paid the price for us so that we could have our sins forgiven. That's what Christmas is all about. The essential theme behind this whole series that I've been doing the whole month is behind the cradle is the cross. You can't just look at the cradle and see a cute little baby, an innocent baby. You have to see there's a mission there. And the mission is the cross. And without the cross, we have no hope. And that is why when Jesus got done and gave His life on the cross, His last words were, it is finished. If you're here this weekend and you're still trying hard to do whatever you think you need to do, stop. If you've got a resume that you're working on, rip it up. Humble yourself. Come to a point and realize you need a Savior. Somebody has said, you know, if we needed healing, God would have sent a physician. If we needed knowledge, God would have sent an educator. If we needed money, God would have sent a banker. But we needed forgiveness, so God sent His only Son. Isaiah tells us that sin has caused a great gap between us and God. In Isaiah 59, it says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, your iniquities or sin, have separated you from God, uh, from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In other words, it's saying, essentially what Isaiah is saying here is we ha- the problem we have with our relationship with God is not with Him because His arms aren't too short and His ears aren't stuffed up and His eyes aren't clouded over. It's us. It's our sin. And we all need forgiveness. And, and, and we've got to stop this whole thing of self salvation. We can't save ourselves. You, you can't save yourself. It's like this. When you're drowning in the middle of the swimming pool and you can't swim, you don't just like say, okay, my biggest problem is I just need to swim. Okay, I'll swim. It doesn't work that way. You're drowning. You need somebody to come and save you. And that's where we're at spiritually. We're drowning. John writes it this way. He says, My dear children, 
I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who's truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. His sacrifice pays for your sins. You'll never deserve it. You'll never be able to pay him back. It's not about that. It's a gift. Mary gave birth to Jesus probably in a cave. She wrapped Jesus up in strips of cloth and placed him in a cradle. And many watched Jesus as Jesus was crucified and they wondered what was happening. How could this be the promised one? So Mary wrapped him up like a little mummy, placed him in a manger, in a cave probably. And Jesus gave his life. They took him down off the cross. They wrapped him up in a cloth. They put him in a cave. There was no place for him at his birth. The last minute, Joseph found a place. There was no place for him at his death. At the last minute, there was a place found for him. Three things we want to just draw from this. Number one, humility. Jesus was willing to humble himself to a cradle, to be born as a helpless baby, to a poor family. But that's not all. He was willingly willing to be humiliated on a cross, mocked and ridiculed and spit upon and beaten and slapped and executed as a criminal for you and for me. Will you humbly accept his salvation? Will you come to a place and say, I, I can't save myself. I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, and I need help. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, will you please just begin to grasp what he's done for you? Because the biggest problem we have in our relationships is we, we're, we are selfish and we are proud. If two people who are proud and selfish transform because of what they see in the gospel and what they see in the cross and they walk into a relationship as humble and as a servant, that relationship goes to a whole new level. Abandonment. Jesus knew the Father was with him and had a plan for his earthly life and, and walked with his Father while he was on earth, had many times where he spent lonely hours with his Father. But at the time of the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, what Jesus, what, what Jesus went through is he, he, he allowed himself to be abandoned by the Father so that you would never be abandoned. Now, I don't know how you feel this holiday season, this Christmas season, if you feel abandoned. But if you know Jesus, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's always, and he has a plan for your life. You're not going through a random world. There is a plan if you'll trust him. The last thing I want you to consider is the forgiveness. That Jesus was born in a cave and wrapped up in strips of cloth and heaven broke Heaven broke open with praise. Jesus was placed in a tomb after being wrapped up in a cloth, and heaven was silent. Jesus was born with the expectation of hope, and he was laid to rest in confusion and despair. And we understand on the third day he rose. But do you understand what he went through you? And this Christmas, and this next year, 2013, will you say, Jesus, I haven't given my life to you. 
I've been trying to be good enough, and I realize I'm going to stop trying to be good enough and allow you to be good for me. And I want to begin life with you. It will change your year. It will change your relationships. It will change your life. And the reason I'm hammering on this message this month is because I know within this community, there's a lot of people who think, I might just make it. I might just be good enough. And I just want to tell you right now, you'll never make it. You're drowning, and you need a Savior. And if you've received that forgiveness, would you meditate on what he's done for you? That he humbled himself incredibly. And he calls you to do the same. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Our Father in heaven, what an amazing passage as we see how you humbled yourself. Thank you for your servant Mary who, even though she didn't understand what it meant to walk with you and how she would be challenged in her faith, she trusted you. Help us to do the same. Help us to be like Mary, a faithful follower of you. Help us to be willing to humble ourselves in relationships so that uh, truth and love and mercy and grace can come flowing. For those that may be here this morning, Father, who have never trusted Jesus, may today be the day that they would call upon Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm spiritually drowning, and you're the only one that can save me. I give up my own efforts and I ask you to come into my life to save me. You gave your life to me. I give my life to you. And Father, we just pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts in this next year and that you would uh, change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.